All righty. If you will, you got some notes. See how you do. Maybe everybody get 100 today. But number 80 there, the Bible can be proven to be the Word of God. Is that true or is that false? That is true. All right, give me how would you prove that the Bible is the Word of God? What would be one way that you think you could show that the Bible is the Word of God? What is just one way? Who said that? Who said that? All right, that is true. Is there any other way besides prophecy? What else could you use? Yes, Tom? Salvation. Salvation. Yeah, you, you ought to be the greatest proof that the Bible is true. You trusted Christ as your Savior, and you should have a peace of mind about that, and you should believe that you have eternal life, and you should believe you're going to heaven when you die, and you ought to believe that He ain't going to cast you out and lose you, so that could be some mighty good news. All righty, you got anything else that you might be able to use? Historical facts, that is true. There are historical facts. Jesus was really here. I think there was really a flood. So, yes, I believe that uh, the Bible is true. And I believe one of the reasons I believe the Bible is true is because the Bible says it is true. And then it goes to proving it and teaches you things that no man could have known and is put together in such a way that man could not have put it together. It's an awesome book written over 15, 1600 years between 35 to 40 different human writers, but only one author. And everything it speaks on, it's right. And there's no mistakes, no contradictions. That's a miracle in itself. How do I know it's the Word of God? You can't find a more perfect book in all the world. Yes, sir? The resurrection. The, the resurrection is a proof. That's a big one. Scientific facts in the Bible. So there are ways in how to be able to satisfy yourself that the Word of God is true. Now remember, you can't always prove it to somebody else, but it should be proof to you, and there's evidence for you to believe it. And sometimes those reasons why you believe something should be a, maybe good enough for somebody else to believe it. Look at the next statement. The Bible describes the atheist as a fool. Is that true or false? <gasps> you mean God calls somebody a fool? Yeah, He did. But where does it say that in the Bible? You, are you sure? You sure it's in the Bible? Where is it found in the Bible? Psalms 14.1, left-hand page, left-hand column, right-hand column. All right. So it does say that the, the fool have said in his heart, there is no God. That is a fool. Number 82. True scientific evidence points to a sudden creation. Do you believe that? I believe that is true. Yeah, but God could have created by the process of evolution. Therefore, we could call it theistic evolution. True? No. God says from the beginning of creation. Where does it say since the beginning of creation? Beginning of creation. Where is that found? Mark. Mark? You sure? Yeah. Mark what? Mark 8? Eight. Eight-ish. That's like Markish. All things continue as they were since the beginning of creation. It's mentioned several times, so you ought to have one of those verses you can just kind of slap me around with a little bit. We believe in creation. If, if there's creation, there's a creator. Of course, if you don't believe in God, you can't start with God. So you have to believe that everything happened by you know, random chance. Mark 10, 6. Mark 10, 6. Read it. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. That's what it says. Male and female created he them. 
So we do believe it. Yes? Yes, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4 also says along that same line. Because God had made a promise, and it says they willingly are ignorant of the proofs that are in the Bible and some of the things that God says and that there's going to be a flood and so on. So God has given us reasons to believe the Bible. Number 83, the flood of Genesis was simply a local flood. It was just in that local area. Is that true or false? <laughs> the whole earth. I mean, wouldn't it be a shame to build a big old boat for a local area? I mean, he had 120 years. He could have moved out of the spot. I mean, he could have just went to higher ground. But the Bible says it covered the whole earth. And I believe that that is true. I've been on the top of the Rocky Mountains and found seashells all over the top of the Rocky Mountains. So how did they get there? Somebody planted them there. I believe that there's a flood. And um, God says that he would not destroy the earth again by a flood. It says that uh, he would even give us something to remember, his promise. And what was that? A rainbow. All righty, next question. An agnostic believes you cannot really know if there is a God. Is that true or false? An agnostic. That's true. See, they believe that um, you can't know. So they don't know if there is or there isn't, but you can't know. But can you know? Of course you can know. Uh, it just simply means sometimes, that, you know, without knowledge. You are without knowledge. You don't know. So some people are proud to be an agnostic. It means they're proud that they don't know. I'm so glad I can say positively, I know what I believe. I know that there's a God. And that God is more real to me than the clothes I got on my back. Number 85. Number 85. It's an interesting here. Which verse, don't y'all be looking in your Bible now. You're not looking in the Bible. This is a closed Bible test. You were cheating, weren't you, ma'am? Yes, you were. I, I noticed that. You failed the test. You, you failed today. So um, where are we at? Number 85. Number 85. Which verse teaches that Christ is God and that he made the world? He is God and he made the world. Raise your hand on this. Raise your hand. Now, if you don't want me to call on you, raise your hand. Yes, over here. Jessica? All right, John 1, 1 through 10. That sounds pretty good. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made, so uh, He must be God. So Jesus Christ is God, and in verse 14 where He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus Christ is God, and he made the world. And he came unto his own, and his own received him not. 86, the Bible only claims to be the word of God one time. Is that true or false? That is false. It says many, many times, the word of the Lord came unto me. The word of the Lord came unto me. And the Bible tells us that the word of God is true. And it's talking about making wise the simple. And you'll read it over again. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So it's mentioned more than once in the Bible. So the Bible is the word of God. The next statement is kind of like that, but look what the next statement is. The Bible is the word of God to those that believe it is. Or is it the word of God? 
The Word of God is just the Word of God if you believe it's the Word of God. Or is it the Word of God whether you believe it or not? The Word of God is the Word of God. And it doesn't matter whether you believe it is or you don't believe it is. Some guy told me the other day, says, um, when I get ready to witness to somebody and they tell me they don't believe the Bible, what should I do? Well, you don't throw your sword away. You're in a battle. Start swinging. Start slicing with a Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I mean, time, time, well, I don't believe the Bible. You don't have to believe the Bible, but I just want to let you know that these things I've written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, you can know you have eternal life. So you just keep cutting. Just keep cutting. After a while, they, they bleed. Don't throw away your sword. Put your confidence in the sword, in the Word of God. Trusting that it will not return unto him void. It will accomplish what God sent it forth to do. The Word of God is sharper and powerful than any two-edged sword. Have confidence in it and believe it. Trust it. The next statement, number 88, the Bible contains many scientific facts hundreds of years before man found them. you believe that's true? How many believe it's true? So raise your hand. Give me one verse that says a scientific statement that you believe is scientific. That's in the Bible. Find it. Remember, you just made a broad statement, bold statement, with confidence, and I like that. And then that person says, Where's that at? Can you just show me one? And lo and behold, there you are with your jaw tripping you up all over the ground. Yes, sir. That is a true statement. That is in the Old Testament, in the book of Job, chapter 26. Hung upon nothing. While you're right there in Job, is there another one in chapter 25? The moon does not give off its own light. That's a scientific fact. They used not know that for sure, but what they do today because it simply reflects the light from the sun. Number 89. If a person says he does not believe the Bible, you should not explain the plan of salvation to him until he is sure the Bible is the Word of God. That's false. You should believe it is the Word of God, whether they believe it or not. I have talked to people, and I had a man tell me, you're just wasting your time. I'm an atheist. I don't even believe in God, and I don't believe the Bible is true. I don't believe there's a heaven. I don't believe there's a hell. I said, so you don't believe there's a God? No, I don't believe there's a God. And intellectually, you can state that there, there is no God. Yeah, that's right. I said, can you prove to me God it doesn't exist? What? Can you prove to me God doesn't exist? I said, if you're definitely making an absolute statement, there is no God. How do you know there is no God? So you put them on the defense. Defend your statement. Instead of me trying to prove there is, you prove there isn't. And if you try to prove that there isn't a God, that means you have to be omnipresence. It means you have to be everywhere all at the same time. Because if there's anywhere you cannot be, it might be where God is. Doesn't that make sense? And you should also uh, be able to know everything there is in the whole universe. Whatever's knowable, you should know it. Because if there's anything you don't know, might be the knowledge of God. So you have to know everything to intellectually state there is no God. Did you know you can trap somebody very easy if they just want to use logic? And after I got through with a little bit of that, I explained the gospel. I taught one guy one time, and uh, he told me pretty much the same thing. And I says, uh, so you don't believe there's a God? You don't believe in heaven? Don't believe in hell? No. I says, at one time in your life, you didn't believe that. You weren't born believing that. 
So that means at one time you used to believe that there was a God. Now you believe that there is no God. Is that true? He said, yeah, that's right. So there is a possibility that what you believe today, you may change your mind down the road. I said, you've already done it. So you might do it again. I said, if you was to change your mind down the road and believe that maybe there is a God, maybe there is a heaven, maybe there is a hell, there may not be nobody to tell you how to get to heaven. Can I go ahead and tell you so that whenever you get down the road, if you ever change your mind, you'll know how to get there. I said, all right, go ahead. I'll let him learn. <laughs> Sometimes they want to use wit, but you just got to outwit them. So if you can just get in the door just a little bit, you might get them to understand and trust the Lord. Uh, look at the next statement, number 90. If you believe in evolution, you can't be saved. The first part of the verse is the giveaway, if you believe. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior and you are a believer, you've trusted the Lord. God has to save anybody that trusts Him. And if you trusted Him and you believe in evolution, would you still be saved? Yes. You can't lose salvation. God saves you, gives you eternal life. It's not temporary life. It's not life as long as you believe in creation. See, a lot of God's people can trust Christ as Savior, have eternal life, and then not believe everything they ought to believe. That's why you have to grow and be taught a lot of things. So there's people who don't believe the right way, but you can still explain things to them. They trust Christ as Savior. That hasn't cleansed their mind of all the humanistic philosophy they have been steeped in. Next question. Number 91. If you believe in the Lord... But take the Holy Spirit's name in vain, you are lost. Well, if you listen to what I said just a minute ago, you would know the answer to this one. See there the first part of the statement? If you believe in the Lord. That means you've trusted Him as your Savior. You believe that when Christ died, He died for you. And if you believe He died for you, that payment He made was for your sins. It means that all my sins are paid. That's why I can't go to hell today and I can't go tomorrow. I can never go to hell. Why? I don't have any sins to pay for. So you don't deserve that. Yeah, I know. That's why he says, by grace are you saved through faith. Grace. You're saved by grace. The next statement. 92. Once saved, always saved is something that some Christians teach, but is not a biblical doctrine. False. You're sure about that? Eternal security. Once saved, always saved, is not separate from the doctrine of salvation. It is salvation. To be eternally secure is to be secure. If you're not eternally secure, you're not secure. Anytime your salvation is linked to your way of living, you're in trouble. Because then you'll have reasons to doubt your salvation and your security if your salvation is linked to your obedience, because when you're disobedient, you have every reason to question and doubt your salvation. But what if it's not linked to my life, how I live? This is what blows people's minds. Well, then you can know you're going to heaven because it'd be free. But if it depends on you or me, you have reason to doubt your salvation. You have every reason to think you can lose your salvation. But the only reason you can't lose it is because it's not linked to me. I trusted him. He saved me. And he did it all alone without my help. He didn't need it before and he don't need it afterwards. He's the Savior, not me. I trust him. He saves me. The only way I could get lost is for him to do it. And he guaranteed me he won't and he can't lie. So he'll never cast me out and never lose me. So how long will I have eternal life? 
forever. Boy, that's a good statement. I love that. Number 93, a personally dishonest saint cannot be happy. What do you think? There's times when you might be, but overall, it would be a, a true statement because, you see, your happiness just depends mainly upon happenings. If things that happen to you, you know, are good, then I'm happy. But when things are not good, then you're not happy. But there's something that's different about a Christian. Christ says, happy are ye if you do them. Talking about his will. Learning his word and obeying his word. See, as a child of God, we should serve the Lord. But we don't serve the Lord to get to heaven. And he says, this is what I want you to do. And if you'll do that, happy are ye if you do them. My happiness comes because I obeyed the Lord. Not because good things happen to me in life. Do you know you can be a godly person, love the Lord, serve the Lord, and everything seems to go wrong in life. And if you're only happy if good things happen to you, you could be a miserable, miserable, miserable individual for a long, long time. Paul had every reason to be the most miserable Christian in the world. Look what he went through. Read the story there in Corinthians and you'll find out. But he says rejoice always. Why? Because there's something else. There's something that blesses me, that pleases me. Because, well, I'm happy because I'm able to do what God wants me to do. So your obedience to the Lord should bring you great peace, great joy, great happiness. So a Christian can always be like that if he chooses to be. So I read years ago, I didn't read the book, I just heard of a book called Happiness is a Choice. Anybody ever heard of that book? Minneth Meyer, they put it out years ago. Happiness is a choice. And it is. It's a choice. You can choose to be happy or you can choose to be miserable. It's your choice. And a lot of Christians are miserable. Why? It's their choice. If you're miserable, you chose to be miserable. If you're happy, you chose to be happy. And as Christ says, I will say it to you. Bid unto you according to your faith. What do you really believe? And that's pretty much the way it's going to be. Look at the next statement. 94, number 94. If you are not fishing for men, you are not following Christ. True or false? That is true. You don't necessarily catch all the fish that's out there. But you might catch one once in a while. But it does take a little time and patience and the right tools. And so you learn how to go fishing. This is sometimes why... Together as a group, sometimes we can catch more fish. Um, James has had some people trust the Lord in Friday night, and Jesse and them had some trust the Lord in Thursday night, and then they go out on Friday night soul winning. And we've had some trust the Lord in here, and we've had some trust the Lord on the Internet. So you can always catch some fish somewhere. But when we do it collectively, we sometimes can catch more fish. So the reason we do what we do, and we give like we do, and we sacrifice like we do is because... It's all for the purpose of winning souls. So we want the radio broadcast. Somebody asked me one time, says, huh, what does it cost to do this radio broadcast? I said, it costs us almost, with everything we do, almost $10,000 a month just for the radio broadcast. And that's a lot of money. But there's a lot of fish out there. There's three to five million people in this area. In Colorado, that radio station that reaches into about four or five states, it's between 10 to 15 million people. The potential. That's a big lake. And so you go fishing. You never know who you're going to catch. And then somebody called me up on the phone one day and says, I just want to know if I can put your radio broadcast on a station up here in Indiana. I said, we don't have the money to pay for it. He said, I'll pay for it myself. I said, so you go right ahead. So he put me on up there in Indiana. So I'm on some station up here in Indiana. I don't know which one. 
He told me one time, but I, I, I lost the email. I don't know. I don't know if it's still on or not. And then I found out I was on another, in another state, on another station, and, and I lost that email too. <laughs> I don't really don't care. Just wherever it is. And if it's on the Internet and we got people that listen and trust the Lord, I think it's just so wonderful. But the goal is we are supposed to be fishing. And if we do that, God will bless us. Witnessing is a command. It's not a leading. Well, I'm going to sit here and just wait because I don't want to do this in the energy of the flesh. So I'm going to wait until the Holy Spirit kind of gets a hold of me and says, let's go. No, you already know it's a command. Now, you can depend and trust the Holy Spirit to lead you as you witness. But if you wait to the Holy Spirit to lead you to witness, you might be waiting a long time. And some people say, well, I just don't want to. I want to do this in the spirit, not in the flesh. Okay. You use that on God and see if that will work with him. If God accepts it, then that's no problem with me. But I do believe that you'll win more if you just make it an issue. And sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we win, sometimes we don't. But you'll catch more fish if you do fish. Look at number 95. To serve the Lord is a heavy yoke. It's just so hard to serve the Lord. I just have people say, it's so hard. Do you know the Bible says it's hard if you don't? Remember when Jesus made this statement in the book of Matthew, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is a yoke of iron. Just weighs me down, serving God. No, then you got the wrong yoke, and that's no yoke. I thought it was pretty good. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, where he makes this statement, he says, Unless thou serve the Lord with joyfulness of heart, I will put a yoke of iron upon your neck until it destroys you. So disobedience to God is a lot harder than being obedient to God. So serving the Lord is always easier than not serving the Lord. Because there's a, a yoke of iron he's going to place upon your neck. And it's going to weigh you down with all the problems of life. See, when you don't live your life and learn how to cast your cares upon him because you know he cares for you and you don't pray about everything like you should well do you know you're trying to carry all that yourself and the sheer weight and the problems of life destroys most christians that's why i'm having a nervous breakdown i don't know if your nerves break down or not it's just usually it's because of sin in your life you're not committing things to the lord like you ought to you're trying to be your own god you're going to do it your way instead of God's way. And therefore, you don't have the peace of mind. When you rebel against God, the very one who helps you, the very one who comforts you, the very one that gives you the peace and the joy and the happiness, the strength, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I wasn't going to sing it, but why not? The joy of the Lord is your strength. When the Lord is not your joy, then you don't have the strength. You get burnt out, tired and weary. It's just so hard. All you're doing is giving it away that you're not close to the Lord as you think you are. And you're not as strong as you think you are. Learn to commit those things to the Lord. Number 96. Hell is really just annihilation, not eternal value. When you're dead, you're dead. You're going to the grave, and that's it. Who said false? Oh, just about half of you. 
All right. I did ask this one man one day. I says, where are you going to go when you die? He says, Tennessee. I said, what? He says, Tennessee. I said, when you die? He said, yep, that's where my burial pot is. That's where I'm going, six feet under, and that's as far. I said, well, let me ask you this. I said, sure. Have you died before? No. I said, then you don't know that's true, do you? Oh, you know, they don't like it when you just ask them a question. I said, well, one of them was an answer. He was smart, so you can sometimes cut him back a little bit. I um, had somebody ask this question one time. They asked this Jewish man. He said, how come every time you ask a Jewish man a question, he always answers with a question. He says, why not? <laughs> Are you like that, Jay? <laughs> there is a real hell, and that's why we need a real Savior. That's why Christ came, was to save us from hell, to give us a free gift of everlasting life. 97, 97, we're moving right along. Primarily, why did Christ come to the earth? To give his life to pay for sin, to show the world how to live in peace, to teach people how to be his disciples, to put an end to Judaism. Which one of those is correct? Hey, boy, I love the unison here. To give his life to pay for sin. Christ was born to die for our sins. And that he did. Came back from the dead said that if we would believe that when he died, he died for us. Now, you might believe he did it for the world, but you have to believe he did it for you. When you believe he did it for you, then that payment he made is put to your account. I have a payment for my sins. Christ is my payment. He is my payment for my sins. 98, which verse says our body, as a believer, is the place where God's Holy Spirit lives? Where does it say that in the Bible? That our body is a place where God, the Holy Spirit, lives. Where does it say that? Raise your hand. Anybody got a clue? Way back in the back. Yes? 1 Corinthians 6.19. Can you quote it? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Very good. Sounds good enough. I guess we could stop right there. All right. Time up. Good deal.